Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and ahead of Spurs v Brentford in the League Cup semi-final. I'm delighted to be joined by Spurs tactics guru, Nathan Clark from the Extra Inch Podcast. Nathan, how are you? And thank you for joining us. Not bad, not bad. I don't get to be called a guru very often, so that's a, that's a pleasure. <laughs> Good start then, hey mate. So you've got a lot to live up to with this guru. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, for anyone who hasn't heard anything about you, Nathan, just a brief description of sort of who you are and what you do. Your Twitter bio is quite interesting. Uh, okay, yeah. So I, well, I'm a Spurs fan who, uh, not unlike yourself, is is into tactics and started blogging about that, and things have spiraled out of control since that point. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm now one of the three members of of a podcast called The Extra Inch, but that has also become lots of video stuff, lots of analyst stuff, um, yeah, and a, a sort of a, a content mill, a, a growing content mill of various things to do with Spurs and tactics and the like. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I, I like to call it a media empire. You guys are growing <laughs> massively, and yeah, for someone who supports a championship club, it's really it's really good actually just tuning in to sort of the Spursy stuff that you guys do and um, getting a really good oversight of the league and and Spurs. So yeah, I definitely recommend anyone um, anyone to go and take a look. Um, but yeah, thank you again for joining us. Um, I reckon we just get straight into it then. Let's do it. Okay, so. I'm going to start off with uh, talking about the cup itself. So, how are the excitement levels for a Leaf Cup semi-final on January the fifth? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty excited, <laughs> I guess. I mean, like, it, obviously, it's the League Cup, um, but there's this sort of um, expectation with Jose Mourinho that he will target a cup, uh, you know, one of the lesser cups in his first full season. Um, and so we we recognise that this is whereas you know under our previous managers like not just Pochettino but before that before that before that it's been about oh yeah this is sort of this other competition that exists and we play some kids in we know that this year was going to be a a go at, at least one of the domestic cups um, and to be quite frank we haven't drawn the harder side of the, the semi final draw so yeah we're we're excited about securing or the potential at least to secure our place in the final. Yeah, I hear you. So yeah, let's talk about that that sort of run to the semis. Um, 
What, what do you think? It's, have you kind of appeared here by default, or is, uh, has it been sort of <laughs> yes. taken seriously from the early rounds? <laughs> well, we had to we had to beat penalties. Uh, penalties. We had to beat Chelsea on penalties. Uh, that was that was pretty much the challenge, you know. That was mm-hmm. um, so we we got a bye, didn't we? Uh, yeah, bye against you... Orient in the yeah. COVID COVID related. Yes, I think so. Yes, yeah. We uh, we uh, we paid for Orient to have tests because they they weren't being tested it wasn't part of the the process uh, at that level of the league yeah um and here we are basically that is almost the story of our league cup run yeah it's interesting isn't it that like you've only really played sort of two games and you're in a semi-final and um yeah you can't really sniff at it um default or not you've you've got there it's a major competition um pretty different to brentford's run though we've uh yeah we've we um it felt like a long time ago now back in september when we played wickham um and we've actually beaten four Premier League teams on the way to this wow. this round, um, which is yeah, it sounds probably better than it is. I think three of the teams are probably sort of good Championship size masquerading as Premier Premier League teams in Newcastle, West Brom, and Fulham. I mean, Southampton was back in September, but yeah, the early rounds for us, I guess, were pre-season, just sort of trying to get team to team out and get people up to speed back from injury, and then you just see where it takes you, and um, you get Newcastle in the quarterfinals, and uh, yeah, you're. Uh, <laughs> You're into a semi, so it's it's, it's pretty interesting times. Um, okay, so yeah, the run. Uh, let's go to let's go to the weeks, sort of running up to this. And um, we pretty had we've had like sort of vastly differing weeks. Brentford have had a rest. Our game against Bristol City on Saturday was called off due to uh, yeah slightly suspicious activities with COVID and sort of Bristol and getting lab tests and uh, it being a bank holiday. You, on the other hand, had uh, a game against Leeds United. We and did. You won three nil. How uh, did that go? How? What's your assessment? Well, so we did have a game, but that is after we've had a game of our own postponed, which was Fulham yeah. uh, a couple of days before, and so we managed to get something of a rest in ourselves <laughs> before that. I think we were looking pretty leggy um, coming up to that game, um, especially sort of key players who, who've been, you know, playing nearly every minute, um, and I think that was was a big part in us getting the the three 0 win over you know a high energy, high intensity lead side. Um, the sort of the longer story has been yeah, uh, I, this is something I've been saying recently on, on various podcasts. But like with Mourinho, because it's all about results and never about performance, that really sort of forces you into sort of the the hot take roller coaster mentality. Mm-hmm. So we were on a high. Uh, sort of coming up to Christmas and then we went all the way down into the ditches after a couple of results and now we're sort of oh we just want to get leads we're oh, we're back in it again and it's it's kind of exhausting to be honest but uh yeah it's hard to say like what the mood is because it's it's just constantly changing yeah it's up and down I guess everything's just under great scrutiny isn't it um it's so easy to pull out different narratives that sort of day to day let alone week to week but um yeah you've got to keep going so uh, Leeds are quite well known to Brentford. Um, we played them a couple of times last season. They're, they were our nemesis. They're, they've sort of pipped us to the, the automatic spot, so we know them quite well. Leeds are quite an exhausting team to play. So do, do you think there's any bearing on that in you coming into this game? Or do you think Jose's managing your teams quite well and we shouldn't really notice it? Maybe. I think that, like, I think we did a, a pretty decent job of conserving our energy when we played Leeds by by sitting back and playing on the break I think we we avoided 
not completely, but to, to quite some extent avoided getting drawn into sort of a, a high energy back and forth. Um, I, I mean, I still wouldn't rule it out. It's interesting. I actually watched, um, Leeds play away to Brentford a couple of seasons ago in your tiny, tiny little old yeah, stadium. Yeah, oh my goodness. The, the narrowest pitch <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Um, so yeah, that, that looked, that looked pretty exhausting. I've got to say. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. For, unfortunately now we've lost that, that sort of intense, um, sort of, yeah, really scrutinizing, uh, stadium. And it's, a, we're in a bit of more of a palace now. So hopefully that doesn't affect us long term, but. Um, yeah, just going to pick up on Jose, I guess. Like pre, uh, post-match, sorry, after Leeds, we was talking about this sort of classic Jose, sort of stopping Leeds in areas that um, that they were going to be strong and sort of minimising what they could do. And he was quite smug, and it sounded like his game plan was perfect. And uh, he was, yeah, he was he was lapping it up basically as his superb plan. And um, you came out with a three-nil win. Do you, do you think it was fair? Yeah, I don't think it was unfair at all. I think like. Um... Like in terms of expected goals, maybe Leeds should have had one of their own, but otherwise, pretty much, you know, the the, the fact that 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 Leeds had uh, a significant share of the ball doesn't doesn't mean a huge amount. In I think mm. in terms of um, you know deservedness or or anything, else. I think you know Leeds played brilliant football. Leeds should be proud. Leeds are doing really incredible things. They're essentially a, a mid-table Championship squads who are holding their own in the Premier League. There's a mm. lot of stuff there to be like really really proud and really impressed with. But that doesn't necessarily mean that because they play well against like a, a top six side that they they are deserving of, of more than what they got. So yeah, no, I think I think I think Spurs played genuinely well in that game. Um, we've had some difficulty recently over the last few weeks, as I was talking about the sort of emotional rollercoaster situation, where we we struggled to continue to pose a threat after going a goal up, where we've dropped back and we've been pinned back rather than using that as a as an opportunity to attack space in behind. Um, and the Leeds game was a, was a change back to us maintaining a constant threat throughout the game. Um, so I, I was pleased. I was impressed with Spurs. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so. Uh, just looking through sort of some of the results and stuff this year and from watching what I can of Spurs and uh, sort of fitting it in, uh, you have sort of standout, lings against, uh, standout wins against City, United, Arsenal, but losses to Liverpool and Leicester. Uh, where do Spurs rank in like the pantheon of Premier League heavyweights? Like, are they sort of, are they up there with the top two, top three, or are they, are they kind of like the best of the rest, uh, sort of the Europa League chasing bunch? What would you say? Hmm... Uh, I kind of feel like this is a very Europa League season, you know. I feel like, like if Liverpool are maybe the best team in the league, they're still playing a, like a a kind of fourth or fifth <laughs> compared to previous seasons. And I think that you know that's the nature of the lack of preseason, the how many games there are being played in such a short period of time, mm. um, the number of players who are out with a, a you know a lung based virus and everything else. Um, yeah. this, is, this is a low quality Premier League season, and that's kind of sitting right for us. And as a result of that, we are we are absolutely rubbing shoulders with with title contention as a result. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so where does this lie in kind of your list of priorities? Then is this is this sort of the main focus, or are we? Is it just a, is it just like a sort of a byproduct of much bigger things going on? Like how do you how do you view the tie? Do you think? Uh, so it's it's followed by another cup game um, away to Marine FC. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with who they are because I'm not. I'm not. No, uh, I'm <laughs> I think they're. 
think they're Liverpudlian or or near the Mersey, uh, okay. perhaps. Uh, well, maybe I'm just remembering that wrong. So, like, um, I imagine, although we've only just played Leeds um, on the second, I imagine we'll probably field a fairly strong team, um, getting prepared to rest for the weekend and then having uh, a Premier League game a week after we play Brentford. So, I I think that. I think that we'll field a strong team, and and yeah, this isn't our highest priority, but like mm. it's definitely something we're taking very seriously because it's a it's a chance that we need to take to get into the final. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, so close, yeah, so close. You've got to try and try and grab that. Um, so selection and fitness wise, like you briefly mentioned, Jose uh, sort of rotating well and um, and looking after his players. Uh, do you think he's going to go full strength for this? Then, what do you think? I wouldn't be surprised if we saw um, like one or two changes. Uh, I mean, we've kind of we've begun to see um, some. We had a long stretch of games where we played essentially the same eleven again and again and again. And over the last couple of games, we've seen we've seen Harry Winks start twice. Um, and we, uh, and as a result, Musa Sissoko hasn't played so much. We might see sort of like a reversion. We might see a couple of changes. We might see like a surprise name on the bench. Um, or maybe one surprise start. But for the most part, um, I think we'll go, I think we'll go pretty strong. I think we'll be looking at sort of nine or ten of our first eleven. Yeah, that's pretty daunting, I guess. Um, <laughs> for, for Brentford from the outside looking in. But, yeah, just going back to the Leeds game, I guess I, I, watching that, it was quite, I think from a Brentford perspective, there's some terrifying aspects of it because Spurs to us, just looking in, would look like some of the, the type of team that we've struggled against previously where it's just it's quite deep. Um, yeah, sort of DMs always underneath the ball. There's not really, it's, you're kind of leaving sort of three to attack and they can do whatever they want and they could appear anywhere in the final third. And we've struggled with with sort of breaking down that that solid unit. Um, and I think Jose would know this. And it was quite interesting. Another interview, I think once we got through against Newcastle, he stated that he's very sort of fond of Brentford and impressed. And uh, we look like a, a Premier League team in waiting. And um, some people would have sort of assessed that as him getting his excuses in early. But I thought of it more as he's actually probably got, or they probably have some kind of internal measure and they can see that Brentford are performing like a top a top tier team um so it's more like sort of us being possession dominant um we we'll probably have more shots but are we going to sort of run into this this brick wall that um that sort of frustrated us last season and then watch you counter punch us three or four times and it be three nil so it's it's gonna be a fascinating game from that regard um let's go on to uh the midfield so yeah, looking in, you briefly mentioned him, Winks. Uh, he's uh, he's an interesting player. I, I, I'm surprised he's lasted this long under Jose. It doesn't seem like his type of player. What do you think he knows his best midfield, or what? What is the best midfield there? What do you think? That I mean, that's kind of like the the question at the moment. Um, essentially, he uh, partly because I think we are now playing with two attacking fullbacks, whereas for a while we did a thing last season where we played. Um, Mm. an asymmetrical back for, for where the left back Ben Davies played uh, more like a wide centre back and the right back who was Serge Aurier uh, pushed on and was aggressive like a wing back this season we've brought in Sergio Reguilon who is you know absolutely fantastic one of the best fullbacks in the world full stop um, 
but is also you know very much attack minded. Mm. So we're playing uh, a combination of Hoybier as sort of the the number six, the sitting in front of the defense uh, and and passer, and we're playing Musa Sissoko as well, who is sort of a a defensively orientated. More kind of box to box, but but yeah, miles and tackles and interceptions and aggression uh, mm. through the middle, uh, which is which is yeah, it's really strong defensively. Allows our fullbacks to be aggressive and all of that. You know, prioritizes the centre of the pitch. Um, but Suzuko definitely has significant limitations in possession. So the question that we are all asking ourselves, and I imagine Mourinho is trying to sort of work around, with, especially with the recent use of, of Harry Winks, is like. How can we improve upon Musa Sissoko in possession without losing what he does defensively? Um, and I do think that there are answers within the squad, personally, uh, but we may well be looking uh, into the window to to look at who we can bring in to, to someone who does what Sissoko does defensively and can like receive the ball on the turn, etc. as well. Mm. Yeah, let's hope it's not um, Josh De Silva or anyone like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of the midfield. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, the sort of bridge between attack and midfield. Um, someone who all Brentford fans will know, um, English uh, Deli Ali. Like where where does he stack up? Is he is this a game where he might come in and sort of be be given mm. a chance, to be given a platform, or is he following Poch to Paris Saint Germain? Uh, neither of those suggestions would surprise me, which is kind of the thing at the moment. I think he he was meant to be. There were rumours that he was in with the start against Fulham, a league game, mm-hmm. um, and then that game got postponed, and, and there goes his chance. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. He, for me, the the Delhi situation has been such a source of frustration this year because he's such a brilliant player, man. He's such an incredible, incredible talent, a really, really mm-hmm. special player, and he's just not either fancied as a player that can't be right or like liked in terms of his application in terms of his personality by Mourinho and yeah I just find that so frustrating he's he's really incredible um yeah I mean maybe if he goes out on loan for a while and then when he comes back the situation at the club has changed or he's sort of you know uh, been able to refresh or whatever there's there's some route back to him there but things are looking really bad for Delhi at Spurs at the moment I just think that's such a shame yeah, I think I think it is a shame. I think it's a shame for English football uh, in a wider context mm. as well. But um, yeah, things don't always work out for players, and they have a they have a shelf life under managers. Um, yeah, do, do you think that's right? So I guess Jose's been there for a year now, or just over a year, isn't it? It's a year and a few months, I believe. Um, uh, how how does it feel with him as coach? Like, are you imp- are you impressed with him? Um, You've sort of seen him managing lots of other lots of other teams and rivals, and um, now he's yours. Uh, what what what's your take? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not the best representation of Spurs to answer that question because <laughs> I'm just not his biggest fan. You know, mm. I, I dislike him uh, as a personality. I dislike his style of football. Um, I do think that his style of football is at least becoming outdated. Yeah. And perhaps he's finding some success this season, as we talked about already several times. The sort of the fitness issues throughout uh, the entire league structure is maybe sort of favouring him somewhat. Um, but I don't know. There, regardless of that, there does seem at least to be a fair bit of life in in the old dog yet, because <laughs> yeah, we're we're in amongst the the top of the table. Uh, we were top just a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, you know, he's he's certainly getting quite a song out of Kane and Son, 
um, uh, you know, came to the club when we were in quite a mess of a situation and, and rescued from, us from that. Mm. So I think he's doing a good job, but I also kind of can't wait for the whole thing to be over and for us to move on <laughs> as a club, you know? Like a bad dream. <laughs> You're just not waking up for it. <laughs> Oh, brilliant brilliant okay so i guess this leads on well to start talking about like sort of systems and structure um in a little bit more detail um so this probably does explain a little bit why delhi is so anonymous but um what so to me looking at spurs it's like a sort of four two three one or it varies into a three four one two um I don't know if he, jose sort of wants more work from his midfielders um, it doesn't really he just wants to allow son and kane as much freedom in the final third as possible. It's almost like a front two working in tandem, um, one coming deep, one going advanced or wide, vice versa. Um, what, what, how do you, how do you see the system? What's it? What does it look like to you? Yeah, so um, a base of a four-two-three-one, and then often a four-four-two defensive shape. What's interesting there is that sometimes the front two is Kane and the nominal number ten, who's normally Tangi and Dombele, and sometimes. Um, and Dombele will move wide and Sun will stay up ready for that threat on the counter. Sometimes Kane will move into a wide position to give him a rest from sort of pressing the, the defenders mm. on the ball, you know. Uh, but the 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 four four two defensive shape kind of remains there. Um, and then maybe in games where we, you know, despite our best wishes, are forced to have the ball a bit more, uh, mm. you might see us lean into something more of a 4-3-3 with, uh, again, and Dombele, the number 10, sort of moving into something more central midfield-like. We have seen some back three stuff this season. Um, he likes to play 3-4-3s um, against 3-4-3s and just to man-mark all the way up and down the pitch and make the game sort of a non-event through those <laughs> means sometimes. <laughs> Um, I mean, it, it's versatile and it will, it will change depending on circumstances and depending on opposition. Um, but the four two three one is is kind of the default from which everything else works off. Yeah, interesting. What, what do you think the main weaknesses are of Spurs? Then, what would you say? Where would you say the biggest places to exploit um, this team are? Like, what would you say it is? Um, <laughs> having the lead is the best thing that you can do. You know, <laughs> it's 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 undermining. Jose Mourinho's ability to manipulate the game state, um, forcing Musa Sissoko to sort of handle the ball under pressure. Um, there's probably opportunities to attack behind our fullbacks. If, if you can counter the counter, there are good opportunities there. Um, our set piece defending is an issue and it has been an issue with how we see out games as we drop back and we drop back, especially if we only have a single goal lead. We um we invite the opposition on and we're good at slowing down the opposition's open play attacks, forcing them into long shots, but we concede um a number of free kicks and a number of corners over the period of time of the game. And although it's probably harsh to say that we're bad at defending corners and we're bad at defending free kicks, we're not good at doing those things. So so we we've conceded quite a, a a significant share of our goals through corners and, and free kicks defending in that manner yeah that's really interesting actually just did you is it is it is this wild up and like wildly off but to say that kind of jose is more suited to sort of european ties and like cup games now would you would you say that that his style kind of suits that there's a longer goal at sight and it's not the league it's just this 
excuse to sort of sit tight and then you get through to the next round and then you're through to the next round does that make any sense or is that wildly off yeah i mean as you, as you pointed out earlier like our best performances come against the biggest teams the biggest names because that allows us to sort of play the way that we want to play on the break mm-hmm. um and it's it's that having that attention to detail and being so like uh, reliant isn't the, the right word but like kind of uh, we reach our highest ceilings when we are able to like commit a lot and lot of specific preparation to a single opposition when we can say okay we have liverpool in two weeks time every single day i'm going to watch four liverpool games i'm going to make <laughs> a comprehensive list of notes and i'm going to prepare this immensely in-depth um game plan that is all about undermining every facet of the way liverpool play um and that's great when you have sort of that situation and that opportunity but like it's as much as like Mourinho is obviously massively a workaholic and he employs a series of similarly absurd workaholics to do all that work, <laughs> you just can't repeat that for every sort of Saturday 3pm league game. You can't mm. put in that mass amount of work and you can't drill that into the players because even if you've gone away and done your homework and said, okay, here is my, you know, my 72 page dissertation on how Fulham play out from the back. The players will go, well, whatever, we'll just, we'll turn up and we'll try and play some football, you know? So, yeah, we're, we're always going to be better in a cup semi final than we are going to mm-hmm. be on a weekend league game. Uh, and because, like, you, you don't, you can't manufacture that sort of consistency, or it's so much harder to manufacture that consistency over the course of a league season as opposed to turning up for the final, turning up for the semi final. Yeah. The Marina is always going to be like a cup manager. <laughs> yeah it's interesting that yeah it's kind of what i how i see it as well yeah absolutely um so it's a bit of a battle of the analysts actually zahir shah uh, is an ex-brentford analyst um so he'll know brentford quite well coming into this tie and, okay um yeah so he used to be the boss of the current brentford lead analyst so it's going to be a little bit of i'm sure there's going to be a few messages uh of sort of <laughs> goading each other and um yeah knowing the teams really well and sort of having sort of a subtle eye on what's going on in the background but I guess trying to be more positive because it is a cup semi-final and not the doom and gloom of Jose but what's impressed you most this year about Spurs like this sort of last year there must be some some really interesting parts most impressive well (laughs) essentially that um the most impressive thing over sort of Mourinho's entire tenure is that the Harry Kane is back. Essentially, he um, he was really struggling for a couple of years because he'd played fifty games a season for several seasons in a row, picked up mm. repetitive ankle injuries again and again and again, and was sort of fading. Now he he was fading from a very high place, so he was becoming you know instead of being maybe the best striker in the world, he was becoming simply a very, very good striker, you know? <laughs> so it, it, there was always, like, um, confrontation within the Spurs fan bases to being like, Harry Kane's not very good anymore. What are you talking about? He scored all these goals kind of thing. But he was definitely he was definitely dissipating um, to an extent. Uh, and then, because of the pandemic, there was a break in football, and he seemed to finally get the rest that he l- had long, long needed and came back into uh, post-lockdown football, into Project Restart, overweight, uh, which is normally something as a football fan you're terrified to see a player being. Oh no, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be terrible all year. But he quickly lost that excess weight, and it was a sign that he had the rest that he finally needed to have. 
um, and he's back. And oh my goodness, like what a play he is when he is fit, when he's at his best. He's he's simultaneously, you know, one of the very best number nines in the world and one of the very best number tens in the world in in every facet of his play. He's he's truly truly incredible, and I'm so incredibly blessed to be able to to watch him play for my club. Yeah, you're pretty lucky. It's he is. <laughs> I mean, he's just elite, isn't he? He that's all you can really describe him as. He's at the top of his game, and uh, yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take a good defensive performance from uh, Brentford's defenders like Pinnock and Janssen, keeping him under wraps. Um, Janssen, uh, sorry, Pinnock is going to love it though. I think he's going to pull on that right side. Uh, Pinnock will be on the left, and um, it's going to be really interesting. An interesting battle. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to say the least. Uh, so the main um, dangers from Spurs for Brentford to look out for, we spoke a bit about Kane, um, Son, I think everyone's quite clear on as well. Um, what about the the sort of wide areas and how the midfield links with the wide areas? Is there anything is there anything terrifying for Brentford there or is it really just these front two and how pretty much unstoppable they are? So Son is... Um the wide not always wide left uh he's sort of switched around occasionally because both son and bergvine are sort of both sided wingers um and bergvine plays a sort of a supportive role both in terms of he does more defensive work than son and he plays much safer in possession and just looks to link things together ready for the counter-attack on the opposite wing whereas son's job is to attack the space in behind and and wait for Kane to drop off the opposition defensive line and exploit the the gap behind him so although they are sort of yeah they're down on paper as wide players uh, neither of them are spending a very much time sort of taking on their fullback and doing things out there the the wide play is carried by by Regulon and by uh, probably Aurier maybe Doherty on on the right side yeah interesting yeah interesting you mentioned Doherty quickly um he won't be featuring, will he? I think he got a red card. He did get a red card. Good point. <laughs> yes, it'll be Oreo. Yeah. It'll be Serge. Yeah. So, is that probably is that beneficial to Brentford or Oreo's? Um, I think he gets brandished as not a very intelligent footballer. But is that unfair? And then, who who? Are, yeah. Is is this a benefit to Brentford with Doherty being out, or is it? Um, or is it an issue for you guys? I don't think it's unfair to be honest. Um, I, footballers are called idiots more than they are deserving of people are too quick to call footballers stupid i think um but also serge aurier happens to be definitely an idiot um <laughs> i don't know it, it's it's something that i feel like his, his decision making has improved i feel like he's probably being like intensely intensely micromanaged this season and talks through his decisions and, and sort of forced to analyze his own decisions after games perhaps um he he's been on a really good run of not getting red cards and not giving away penalties until the other day against I think Leicester when he just ran into the back of an opponent who was harmlessly leaving his own box. So I don't know. He will he will always have that element to his game, but he's he's played he's definitely played pretty decently recently. And the thing with Doherty is that he appears to have the same issue. <laughs> he seems to be giving away plenty of of penalties and getting plenty of his own red cards himself. I do think that yeah, Aurier is is the better option of the two of them, at least at the moment. So bad luck. <laughs> yeah, he's a, I mean he's a hell of a footballer. If you can kind of channel that and uh, and work on some of the decision making things that you say, then yeah, he's got the potential to be sort of 
right up there with like what the world can offer. He's he's that good, isn't he? But yeah, maybe Jose is the man to to whip him into shape. Who knows? Who knows? Um, just quickly, I think uh, just because a lot of a lot of Brentford fans may not be aware of this, but um, not to put you on the spot here, but there was over Christmas there was this um, there's a few uh, <laughs> a bit of an incident with a number of. Uh, Spurs players like, sort of actually just partying together and celebrating and stuff and it, I don't think it went down very well but not many people would know just um, do you do you have a little take on that situation and just who was there and like sort of the responsibility of it and uh, how this might impact selection for this game mm. yeah so uh, Eric Lamella Giovanni Lo Celso and uh, Sergio Reguilon were all pictured <laughs> with their collective families <laughs> Um, it's a big bubble, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a significant bubble, that's for sure. Uh, pictured together at what is clearly a Christmas party, mm. um, which is just so stupid and so um, careless. Um, and La Soso and Lamella were missing from the squad entirely against Leeds, and Regulon was an unused substitute. So uh, I don't think that those were tactical decisions or or uh, or sort of rotational decisions. I think that they were being punished. Uh, how long that punishment can go on for um, mm. is sort of like the fixtures are simply too thick and fast for that to keep going on. And I suspect that they will all be back in mm. uh, for contention against Brentford. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I I would be in support if the FA were to be like. You know, all of these players, any player caught breaking protocol is is banned from contention for three weeks or any of that kind of stuff. I wouldn't I wouldn't kick up a fuss if that was the case. Um, but I I think they'll probably all be back in with this shout. I, and I, I mentioned this in the extra inch. I went into this quite in depth, um, so I won't I won't push over it too much here. But like, I do have some sympathy for them because like they are for the sake of entertainment for the sake of sport being face to face maskless with a whole bunch of other people who are not members of their family um admin people refereeing team in the tunnel on the coach all of this kind of stuff all in the name of of broadcast entertainment essentially yeah. and i just think that like to go from that like you have to do this for for the industry but when you go home, you're not allowed to see those same people and the same families that they live with. Um, again, it was a very stupid decision, a very selfish decision on, on their half. But I do have some sort of sympathy for the position that they're put into and the, the hypocrisy of the situation yeah, they're put into, you absolutely. know? Yeah, yeah, there's two sides. Yeah, there's always two sides of it. The immediate is these are disgraceful footballers playing mm. up to um, the cliche of thoughtless uh, sort of athletes who just don't care about the real world and then they are being flaunted in front of us and yeah whatever your moral issues about football or however you stand about football going on these are still yeah they're still people and they're still they, they're still flawed and they have weaknesses and um, it's probably different for them because they have been in these sort of really really unique type bubble situations so yeah no I just wanted to hear your your opinions on it and I think you've um, explained that really really well um Okay, yeah, a bit more, well, yeah, a bit more lighthearted now, but sort of your opposition analysis head on. So how much do you know about Brentford and uh, what are you, so we're unbeaten in 16 games now across League and Cup. Um, yeah, what's that about? Any... <laughs> <laughs> yes. you to, can you explain that one to me? Yeah, so 
basically we're just we're just quite a good team i think that's just the best way the best way of putting it we don't really have we don't really have many many weak points um we we've probably conceded more goals than we would have liked we haven't collected a keen sheet in i think six now um but we sort of come back when we go behind it doesn't matter we can come back and win um we're good in attack we're better than last year in a number of areas we're more efficient um and we're we're good on the ball. We're we're good without the ball. Um, we, we're just a very good all round team with, with some clever people running things upstairs. Um, yeah, but yeah. From what you know, so what, what what who who do you sort of fear from Brentford? Like what from your from your side? Well, what I know is sort of that there's some clever stuff going on. Or there has to be some clever stuff going on upstairs because of like the quality, the fact that like last year you had Watkins and um, Ben Rama. And this year you're better is sort of like an underlining of like the incredible recruitment that's going on at Brentford. Mm. Um, could you could you explain like do, do you have much knowledge of sort of the process that that's going on there? Uh, yeah, without without going too much in depth, I think um, the club's run by obviously Matthew Benham. He's yeah. uh, he has his. Um, he has his big gambling analysis company on the side, which is heavily involved with Midtjylland and Brentford and. Um, I guess the quickest way to explain it is if you think about clubs now just having a couple of analysts, everyone's sort of scratching around and giving themselves little pocket teams of analysts. Um, yeah. Maybe four max, maybe a data scientist. And they don't get teams. listened to. They don't get listened to. They're just there. So Brentford have that. But then on the outside of that, there's a team of statistical gamblers of about 150. So <laughs> okay. the only the only other comparable really that I can understand is Brighton with yeah. Tony Bloom's empire on the side. So imagine everyone having the equal so imagine like the Barca Innovation Hub as well, something like that, like a, an actual research team just on the side, just finding out what is good, what is bad, and then being able to watch players in depth uh in a really short space of time and get like a real good knowledge video analysis or, or actually seeing them. Um, it's just a really slick operation. And then I think just very early on, Benham was able to just measure player performance much quicker than a lot of other people, like actually what generally was good and then look at value and look at who wasn't being valued and where they were playing and then sort of bring them in. So I can only imagine. I can't even begin to imagine what's going on now and how clever they are in terms of what they're looking at and what they're measuring and, and whether, yeah, whether it's good. But I, th- I think their model has changed a little bit now because we're getting players who are a little bit more proven. But previously it would have been um, just looking at leagues before everyone else was actually giving them any a second thought. And then now we're at the stage where you're, you're, you can sell more. So you can sell the fact that Ben Rama's moved to West Ham and you can you can convince someone to actually come here first and it's a good stepping stone. Or and other young players that aren't getting football at top top of the league clubs like sort of De Silva or, or, or other teams that Brentford is a place to come to. So... It's just a, it's just the power of numbers and the fact that we have the data, we have the access to a lot of people working on, on football and then harnessing that. And the club's just run by people who are very smart, like sort of Benham's um, got a PhD, I believe. Phil Giles also has a PhD. Um, Rasmus is part of the 21st group. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's just a lot of smart people and that just fun, funnels straight down into the team. There's no... The coach is just basically a vessel for all this really good insight. <laughs> <Okay>. He's <laughs> he's just applying it on the pitch, and we're yeah we're, we're kind of a finely tuned machine. There's no passengers, and I don't think a lot of clubs are like that. I think there's a lot of clubs mm. who have heavy agent contacts who who are run their recruitments run that way. 
they can't do deep analysis themselves or they're, they're not sure where they're at or, or certain pools they, they can't really access players or or they're too stuck to one type of way of recruiting like Bournemouth are very much they're just only going to recruit British players and they really really deviate away from that because it just works for them but I think Brentford have a very and Mitchelland as well because the, the scouting's aligned now they're just very open to things and um, yeah it's, it's it's paying off on the pitch we've seen just massive rises in, uh, in performance so you must fancy yourself for promotion this season. Um, like with that in mind, do you think that were you to be promoted, and obviously that that remains a sort of an if for now. Mm. Um, but were you to be promoted, do you think that you would continue with that model? Do you think you'd be looking to sell Tony and De Silva this summer if you were promoted, or do you think that you would change things up and try to hold on to players in that case? I, I think they'd try and keep the best ones. I, I think. Um... For it, uh, yeah, I think they'll have already evaluated whether they, they think these players are good enough to play in the Premier League. And I think everyone in our team is now. I don't think there's many players that couldn't step up. There might be one or two which they look to improve upon and sort of strengthen um, in the supporting cast, like just behind the first team. But um, you, you can clearly see that we, even, even these Carling Cup matches, uh, sorry, what, Carabao Cup matches, let's call oh. it its right name, against Newcastle, our midfield we're just a better team than Newcastle. It's, there's no, you can't really, um, you can't really dish it up any other way. Against West Brom, we're a better team than West Brom, and these players will probably have stepped up into the Premier League this season and done a better job than those teams at the bottom. So I think they're on the money. It's just convincing these players whether there's a bigger offer that comes in or whether they want to have a go with Brentford or whether they're ready for another challenge. And I think a lot of them would. Yeah, I, th- I think they'd be quite happy to stay for another season. So I, I don't think there'd be massive changes. I think there'd be a couple of tweaks, um, mm-hmm. just to bolster on the probably in the ta- in yeah in the attacking areas and maybe midfield legs, but and yeah, probably defence as well. So I, I think there'd be a little bit of strengthening. But as many of these players that they could keep hold of, I think they would okay. if they could. Yeah. Do do you, you you sort of refer to like the the manager being just sort of a. A force it through, which which things are running. Are you, you organised in position? Do you have a positional model, or is it simply a matter of getting like to silver on the ball as early as possible? No, no, I've probably been a bit harsh on Thomas Frank. Okay. So Frank is, um, yeah, he's an awesome coach. He's probably, yeah, he's definitely one of the top three coaches in the championship and okay. pushing in the in the in this country as well. I, I think his next move is going to be a big one. I don't think he'll be at Brentford for long if it doesn't. Yeah. I think people will be coming in soon. Um, no, no, we're just, um, he, he's been brilliant sort of strengthening us defensively. Um, we're just much better out of possession now, better than we've ever been. And then we can build from any areas. So if anyone presses us high, we're quite good at sort of working through that. Um, it's not really so much as getting to silver on the ball. We can look a bit static with it when he's not there. Um, it can look a bit rigid and sort of clunky as because our midfielders are quite samey. Um, but no, no, it's not just giving it to De Silva. We've we've we had that issue of him being um, the way we'd get the ball forward yeah. earlier in this season. But as everyone's got fitter and as the as the systems have started to be, because we we have changed. I think if you lose two, two thirds of your front team, you are going to you are going to go through some changes. But as Sergi Canos, for instance, got fitter, um, Brian Mbemo's recovered from COVID, he's definitely had some kind of, I wouldn't say long COVID, that's not really fair, but he, he looked like he was still suffering and he's he's just about getting to some of the levels that he hit last season. So we're looking a bit more of a, aesthetically, we're looking a better team now, if not 
quite as um yeah not quite as aesthetically good as last season but we're just far more efficient now and i think the team as a whole is is just functioning at a bit of a higher level uh how do you think that brentford will look to um handle harry kane dropping off the defensive line and playing in some behind yeah that's that's going to be interesting i think i think Vitali Yanelt is going to be the one that picks up Kane. I think he's a big boy, Yanelt. He's 20, like 21 German. He's just absolutely huge and he's he's really fit actually and he'll he'll get close to Kane and he'll I think Kane will have a bit of a battle if Kane does come deep into the area and just interacts with him. So they'll work. Yeah, they'll they'll have worked on this, I think. They'll look and swap over and if if Kane does come deep, it will be Yanelt that picks him up. Um, and he's got the legs. I think he just needs to be patient. I'd, I wouldn't want to see him sort of snap in. I think just sort of funnel him, push him out wide, or just hold him up and and just make sure that Janssen and um, Pinnock are, are keeping an eye on Sun because Pinnock's a really good defender. He's really quick. He's quicker. He just just snuffs out danger. He's a, just a really smart defender. But he's got these long, gangly legs, and I think he got caught out against Watford running in behind. I think it was Sar and. It was just a clumsy tackle. A tackle wasn't made, but it was just there was a slight drawing to the ball, and his leg just so long just kind of clipped him, and it gave Sar the chance to go down. And I can see if we're not careful, something happening like that with Sun, just um, just that ranginess of running and him trying to keep up. So I think they'll have worked on this. They'll have worked on the timing of tackles and just making sure that only going in when they're sure and just just more blocking stuff if they can, and just not just not being pulled into challenges. But yeah, it's going to be a fascinating battle. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, yeah. I, th- I think that's all the questions I have. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Great stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's um, Yeah, it's the first time Brentford have been in the semi in their history. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge game. I, I think the magnitude of it is lost because there's no fans there and we can't go and it's the 5th of January. <laughs> it's New Year's <laughs> New Year's Day. But um, yeah, it's going to be a great tie. Um but yeah, no, thanks a lot for, for coming on, Nathan. Um, it's been really great to talk to you. I think everyone's going to absolutely love this. Uh, it's a really good chat. And um, yeah, where can, uh, yeah, do the sort of usual bits. Um, where can people find you and um, what, what channels are you on? So I am at Nathan A. Clark on Twitter. Uh, and my podcast is called The Extra Inch uh, across various platforms. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend listening to it as well. I've, I've been listening for a while now and um, yeah. The chemistry between sort of Windy yourself and and Bardi is hilarious. Um, yeah, you're a great mix. And yeah, as I said, anyone looking for a lot of a lot of Premier League stuff is a bit tedious, if I'm honest. But the Tottenham stuff is actually quite good. And um, yeah, I'd recommend people going to listen. It's um, it's really funny and it's um, yeah, it's really really good. So, Brilliant, yeah. thank you. Great stuff, no problems. Okay, yeah. So just finishing off with uh, Bees Tactical stuff. Um, search at Bees Tactical wherever wherever you sort of search for stuff on twitter or Substack, uh, also the patreon and listen to the podcast and review it i don't know where you review it i don't know where these reviews go but uh, yeah just review them um say how much you like it and there might be more but yeah it just leaves me to say thank you again to nathan and thank you for listening and uh, good luck to tottenham for the rest of the season not too much luck on tuesday night but um we will see how it goes and uh, yeah come on brentford that's cool.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 